Ready? Hit it! Hello everyone and welcome to Twice Nightly The Podcast with Maria Lovelady and Michael Allen Bailey, a podcast that aims to bring everything variety out of the wings and into the limelight. So what are we waiting for? Let's raise the curtain and start the show! Coming up on today's show, we've got one of Britain's best-loved actresses. A musical maestro. And find out which carry-on star a former Coronation Street star stole bathwater from with Patrick Stewart in the next room. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, on Music Hall and Variety Day 2022 for our Series 2. She's a poet and she didn't know it. That's a line <laughs> from Dinner Ladies. <laughs> I thought I'd provide some smooth segues. <laughs> You're very good at providing a smooth segue, Mike. I do try. I do try. <laughs> I should put that on my CV, shouldn't I? Now, that was a little clue to who our guest is going to be today. But before we get into that, we just wanted to say a huge thank you, really, and that we are so happy to be back here for Series 2. And it's all down to you guys listening in and supporting us throughout Series 1. It's crazy, isn't it? Because for us, the work hasn't actually stopped. When As soon as we stopped Series 1, we've carried straight on. So it feels weird to say that we're back for Series 2 because we're not back. But we've been working really hard to get some great interviews. And shall we talk a little bit about who we've got coming up? Yeah, because we can't wait to share them with you. We have got Alison Child, the author of a very fabulous book about two forgotten but very, very special variety stars. We've got theatre photographer and full-time genius, Simon Anand. We can't <laughs> wait to hear from him. He will love that. <laughs> we have got New York Times best-selling author, Nichelle Gaynor, whose works include the brilliant vintage black glamour, which we are absolutely obsessed with, aren't we? Obsessed. <laughs> author Oliver Double, Dr. Oliver Double, if mm. you don't mind. Never let, be said that we... <laughs> <laughs> Never let it be said that we don't bring some very, very fabulous people on this show. And also we've got the multi-award winning theatre architect, Tim Ronald. How great is that for a kickoff? But that's not it. Maria, who else have we got coming up? That isn't it. Music Hall diva Ida Barr herself will be joining us. You guessed it, none other than the incredible performer Kit Green will be here. We've also got Cockney maestro Mr Tom Carradine, acting coach to the stars Ken Ray, and a special collaboration with the brand spanking new Shakespeare North. If that isn't something for everyone, what is? I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of something witty there that is for everyone. The chase, which might also chase. be quite a good, uh, a good segue for next week's episode. Well, oh. listen, that's a little hint, a little, uh, little cheeky hint, isn't it? Oh, I hate that. I hate cheeky. I don't want to say that. I don't want it to be a cheeky hint. <laughs> What's a variety theatre kind of hint that we could give? A saucy hint? A saucy hint. A saucy hint, yes, because that actually ties into the guest as well, doesn't it, really, if you think about it. But as well as hearing from all of our amazing guests, we also want to hear from you. Now, we've got a brand new way for you guys to get in touch with us, and that is through SpeakPipe. Now, at the touch of a button, you can use SpeakPipe to record us a voice message. Now, whether that's to give us feedback on the show, a connection or a memory that you've got that links you with variety, or even if you'd like to leave a message for one of our guests, head on over to SpeakPipe, www.speakpipe.com forward slash twice nightly the podcast we can't wait to hear from you guys because we do don't we we hear from a lot of you when you send us messages and um you get in touch on social media and it's so touching we love it and we're so overwhelmed by the support we've had for series one so that's why we've been striving to bring you an even more fabulous series too even though series one was pretty fabulous as well. it was pretty fabulous and if you've not listened to it go back and have a listen and wherever you're listening now please subscribe and give us a five-star review because it helps other people to find us and help build this community i love that word community and i think that today being music hall and variety day community is something that we have really felt hasn't it doing the podcast the people that we've connected with the people that we've met i mean it's no exaggeration to say that we have been up and down all over the country, haven't we, doing this? It's a pure passion project. And the people have made it so much more than it ever 
was it than we thought it could be. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, Kit Green's show that we just mentioned was a great mm-hmm. example of that because we went and there was about four people there that, that <laughs> we'd had on the podcast. And, <laughs> and we didn't know each other before and they didn't know each other. And it's just a wonderful world to just keep building on and keep creating because, you know, as we kind of discussed today, it's, it's really... I don't want to say dying, but we have to keep it alive. It's something that we've got oh, yeah, to totally. actively do and find each other. So I think, you know, once we've, you've found your tribe, stick to it and give them a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> because that is what Music Hall and Variety is all about, isn't it? It's about community and it's about pulling together and it's about everybody coming together for this passion that they've got. Which is what our guests have done today. So why don't we segue into talking about me smooth segue your smooth segue get your smooth segue out and tell everyone who we have got coming up on our episode today so the first of our guests is one of our favorite faces from stage screen and the glorious telly box we are speaking to the one and only Anne reed i nearly said dame Anne reed because we keep saying don't we she really should be a dame there's no yeah. excuse that she's not a dame i'm surprised that she isn't and i, I just wish that yesterday we'd got our swords out our own swords <laughs> A chocolate finger or something <laughs> and made her a twice nightly dame because she is absolutely the most deserving person. She is known the world over as the star of Last Tango in Halifax, Dinner Ladies, Years and Years, and of course the current Britbox Smash, Sanditon, as well as appearing in hit movies like Hot Fours, The Mother and Love Actually. Now I know you're all probably thinking she wasn't in Love Actually. Oh, she was. And we get to talk to Anne a little bit more about the crime of the century a little bit later. (laughs) But she's not alone. Anne is not alone. Maria, tell us who else is with her. Well, you'd think that one Tony nomination would be enough for one person, but not for our next guest, Jason Carr. It's greed. (laughs) Well, Jason Carr has got not one, but two Tony nominations, an Olivier nomination and a Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Orchestration to boot. He has worked with everyone from Lorna Loft and Maria Friedman to Peter Hall, and he joins forces once more with the fabulous Anne Reed for their cabaret show, A Night at the Pictures, which will be at Crazy Cox at Brasserie Sedels from the 20th to the 22nd of May. Tickets are on sale now, but they are selling out fast. So we've included all the links to that in our show notes, so you can find that really easily. And if all of that wasn't enough incentive for you to go and buy a ticket, me and Mike will be there on Saturday night. So if you're there, come and say hi. This was a real... I mean, we were so honoured, weren't we? And very graciously invited us to her home to do the interview. We had cups of tea. She gave us crisps and cheese. We had the most fabulous... You know what's hilarious? Because that is the difference between me and you, because we did drink (laughs) a lot of tea, but we also drank a lot of wine. (laughs) I stuck with the tea. I stuck with my cup of tea. But do you know what I've got to say for me? It was a real exercise in self-control because I am... I don't know whether I ever mentioned it on the podcast, but obviously you know, Maria. And anyone that knows me would know. I am the biggest dinner ladies Mm -hmm. fan on the planet. And it was so hard to not just quote lines out of the whole time. And even when we left, my brother texted me straight away and said, was it really difficult for you not to just (laughs) quote dinner ladies the whole interview? And I said, yes, to the point where eventually I had to acknowledge it. I had to just say, and I could quote this at you all day. Super fans. My brother texts, you know, actually, as soon as we got out there. And because I sent my family the picture of us all together and he put, can you tell her that she was my favourite in Dinner Ladies? And I thought, I'm glad that we've already left because I bet she gets (laughs) it all the time. The thing is, though, when anyone meets a celebrity, it's kind of an automatic thing, isn't it? To go, I'm a big fan. I love your work. You're my muse. You're my muse. But when you meet someone, you genuinely are. It's... It's so surreal. And actually, you kind of, you do want to underplay it a little bit because you think, two words, restrain and order. <laughs> yeah, but every, anyone that listens to this now is going to know that we did not play it cool. But I think people should just judge for themselves. Actually, you can get in touch with us. Did we play it cool? Have a listen <laughs> and find out. I predict a landslide result. <laughs> Here is Anne Reed and Jason Carr and Night of the Pictures. So thank you both very much for speaking to us today And Anne, thank you so much for inviting us into your lovely home <laughs> Thank you So 
I first became aware of your collaboration through the album that you made in 2016 with Sir Derek Jacobi. Right. You're the best thing that ever has happened to me, which I just loved. And I remember the first time I listened to it and I thought, this is total joy. It's just pure oh, that's joy. that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> but then I thought about it a little bit more and I thought, actually, thinking of you, Anne, and your career and who you are, that's not uncommon. That's... I feel like everything you do is pure joy. Oh. You're, you're, the work you've done with Victoria Well, you can Ward... stay. You're going to flatter me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll just keep quiet. Tell me how wonderful I am. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, all the stuff with Victoria Ward and um, last time. I've been very Halifax. lucky, yeah. you know. You have to get the job first. And I'm not in charge of that. So I'm very lucky that I get... That I do think comedy helps. I think it helps your career enormously. I'm always saying to students from RADA... If I meet them, you know, they come up and ask, occasionally ask my advice and they talk about, I'm going to study Shakespeare for the next six months. I said, we can forget that for a start. I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> but you need to find somebody who teaches you how to time a comedy line. That's what you need. And that's what will pay you gas bills, actually, mm. in the end. And yeah. who taught you then how to do comedy? I don't know, darling. It was kind of in the family. I came from a family of people who were very funny, all my brothers, and my father was funny. And everybody was waiting for a feed line to get a <laughs> joke in, you know. I think it's just born in you. I think you can learn a certain amount. My mm. husband was a very funny man, and I think I learned quite a lot about wit from him. But you can tell straight away when you meet somebody, can't you, if you tell them a joke. So that joyous aspect, how much of that is a factor when you do something like the show that you're doing with Jason. Well, cabaret, you'll get a word in in a minute. No, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> um, cabaret, to go back, I always like to sing. I mm. love to sing. And a long time ago, I said to my agent, I'd love to do a musical, could you put me up for an audition? And she rang the next morning and said, I've got you an audition at Sadler's <laughs> Wells for the musical Nine. And I thought, oh my God. So I practiced. Talk about a, in at the deep end, though. <laughs> no, and so I practiced the kitchen. I practiced a little bit of, uh, is it Irving Berlin, um, and no strings and no connections? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Top, hat, yeah. uh, top hat. And I went and sang it to them, and they, with their jaws dropped open. <laughs> I don't think they ever heard anything so awful. <laughs> and they said, you can never do a musical. And I said, well, I'm terribly sorry if I wasted your time. I said, I'm determined to do a musical. And I walked out and sat on the stairs and cried. And I just thought, I just want so desperately to do it. And that night, I went to the Royal Northern. I was living in Manchester to see Madame Butterfly. And in the interval, I was talking to this lady. And I said, what do you do? And she said, I teach singing. And I thought, it is fate. Absolutely so I fate. then went and worked with her. And then nothing happened. I used to get arrangements. There was a friend of mine who was a music, musical director at Granada and he was always doing... I used to ring him up and say, will you arrange this song for me? And he would say, why? And I said, well, I don't know. I just, I just had to have it in my key, you know, in a key that I could sing in. I don't know. It just made me feel safe in a really... That's the only way I can describe it. I just felt safe if I'd got it. And then fast forward, I was in the south of France. I was standing having a glass of wine, you know, leaning up against the wall, watching this lady who ran a theatre down. She was rehearsing people for a cabaret that mm. evening. And I just said, I've often fancied doing a cabaret. And she just said, give me a date. And I said, no, I can't do it. And she said, well, think about it. So all the way back on the train, I was writing lists and lists, because I've always loved music. Mm. I mean, I've always collected songs. It's much more part of me than acting. It really, I promise you, it is. And anyway, I worked with a friend of mine who was a pianist, and we worked for a year, went back and did it and uh, in France, because my friend Hilary said, you know, if you're terrible, you never need to do it again, and nobody's going to know in London. I absolutely changed my life. And then Jason and I started working together, you know, and he's amazing. Well, we, we, we get to very, I mean, the things we both love, for whatever reasons, the same wonderful old songs. I, you know, I, I was brought up in my mother's dancing school in Leeds, playing all these old songs and hearing them. And, you know, and what's great about Annie is she absolutely takes it very seriously. I think sometimes, sometimes people, they have a bit of a light attitude to to something like this, whereas Annie takes it very seriously. She really understands, which, I mean, is very germane to the world of 
variety. She understands running order, you know, is so key. <laughs> I'm really you know, good. it's key. You know, Jason, you know. I'm good at putting a show together. Yeah. Because you write the links yourself, don't you? Yeah. So it's not just like one yeah. song after another. Oh no! Another. Oh gosh! You wouldn't. You couldn't rely on my singing for an evening. <laughs> I hope you're not coming on Saturday thinking you're going to get Kiris Canawa, darling, because you're not. I'm telling you. I'm We'd much can, rather have Anne Reed. I'm lucky yeah. if I can keep the tune going. But I love doing it, and I have thought you can't go on doing this now. You're too old. But I thought, oh, stuff it. You know, they can't. Why not? Why not? Absolutely. Just keep going. They can shoot me eventually. I mean, I, th- I think what's marvellous about this show, as as you've constructed it, is you tell all these wonderful stories of growing up in the northeast during the war, um, mm-hmm. and with some very poignant personal stories, um, mm-hmm. things that are very sad and moving. Mm-hmm. But you talk about going to the cinema two or three yeah. times a week with your mum and seeing all these wonderful escapist Hollywood movies. And I think in this show, the juxtaposition of that real life going on and the escapism, you know, yeah. I, I think it makes the songs more poignant and joyous. I do say it is a trip down memory lane, you know, and all those songs from that time, from the 40s and 50s, which is what it is, I love them so yeah. much. As my grandma to talk about variety and maybe if you meet anybody who knows anything about George Roby my grandmother got a job in the chorus at the Aston and there's the only only connection with show business that I have she played the piano and sang but the only time she worked professionally that I know about was in the chorus with George Roby at the Aston Empire and my father was brought up on those Victorian variety and we always went to the crazy gang when they were mm. when they were here when you got this opportunity then to do your own cabaret, was it ever in your mind to do it as a character, an actor, or was it always I going know, to be you? No, Marie, that's absolutely a different thing. Mm. And I do think that it's just something that I'm not frightened of doing. No, if you get up there as a character, you've had it, haven't you? Well, it's a... You get up there and start pretending to be. That my Barbara, <laughs> some actors, um, you know, find it really, really hard. And my friend Leslie Nicholl, you know, plays Mrs. Yes. Patmore. Yeah. She's just started doing cabaret. Now she's a natural. I think, always think of it like I've just had dinner with these people. Yes. And I just say, I'm just going to get up and tell you a few jokes and sing a few songs. And I think that's what it, what it ought to be. I think it ought to have a bit of glamour about it and charm and humour, really. That's that's how I think about it. So, Jason, yes. can I ask you yes. that as actors who sing ourselves, I know I yes. can speak from my experience and say that I think the relationship between a musical director and an accompanist is so important to establish that trust and get that comfort. How do you go about putting a performer at ease like that? How do you go about establishing that trust? Um... <laughs> And does he? And does he? Um, I want to hear this. Oh, I don't know. I think I naturally breathe with singers, and that that you know sometimes I hear accompanists playing, and they I'm sort of like they don't they either seem to get ahead or not. They're just not with the singer, He's and I, I don't, that I, that I don't get. So you're there for the singer. Absolutely, mm. and, and it's a great joy. And in our instance, um, where you know we both adore these songs, that it's fascinating to me. I mean, we do songs say from twentieth-century Fox movies from the forties, that Betty Grable movies or whatever, you know, that were the most successful things in their day, but. Nobody knows these songs yeah. anymore yeah. because because they weren't sort of the integrated MGM musicals. Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, we still watch Singing in the Rain. We still watch the Bandwagon. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yes, we but, do. But, but but people don't watch Moon Over Miami or yeah. you know these these yeah. movies that were the most successful movies of the day because they're not terribly well integrated. Often the characters aren't singing; they're just there as performers, and so they turn up in a nightclub at some point and sing three or four songs. And so they dated in many ways, but they are these marvelous songs. By I mean, the like of your favourite songwriters. God, God sent him to me. God sent Jason. So, I mean, to you me. you love Harry Warren, yeah, and composer. But I've never, I, I'm sure I bore him to death. I just talk music the whole time because Jason's the only person that I've got in my life that I can talk. Well, you know how it is when you search for your tribe, don't you? Yes, I mean, we, we all we all search for our tribe and cling to those people yeah. that you can kind of completely. You know that the people don't just look at you blankly when you start. Really, you <laughs> mentioned Bing Crosby. And well, they that's go. kind of how. Yeah. That's oh, kind of, we just ping. 
lines yeah, up. Smile. That's kind of yeah. odd, like how we met, isn't it, in our relationship as well. So it is, it's really important to find that. I've often been paired with people of an older generation. I mean, I mean that one of the first people I ever played for. Was Elizabeth Welsh of thirty years ago? I'm in my. I was in my early twenties, and through those show people things, I was put together with her. So there she was in her late eighties, and there's me in my early twenties. I just used to beam at her, and I played for Betty Garrett as well, and some, some of these older stars. But Elizabeth Welsh. I mean, I, she, I remember her once turning to me, and she said, "Don't get too jazzy." She said at some point. <laughs> yes. That when you said you would change something, and she said. Oh, oh, yes. Now I was to there. I am, you know, young and sort of wanting to kind of have creative input. And we were doing Love for Sale. So this is the Cole Porter song that she actually sang it for the in in the New Yorkers. I think she was the first person to sing Love for Sale back in 1930 or something. She had her old copy, and um, I started making a suggestion about maybe we could do this to that to do that. And she just went, Cole said. You know, and sort of, and just, you know, he, she'd obviously had a, a session with Cole Porter where he'd sort of taught her the song. And I mean, what Cole I think said. Cole said, and you've got to just go, no, no, I mean, one degree of separation. What did she say? But, but what I mean, I love when I listen to her recordings now, I love that um, she doesn't feel that she has to do anything to the song to make it hers. She just wants to find the most straightforward way of presenting the song. And it isn't like there have been 96 other versions of this, so I have to turn it upside down or do it in, mm. as a begin or do it as a do it in waltz time. It's just how do I make the, the, a direct contact between this song and the audience. And I, th- I think I get more like that as I get older, sort of right. like less... I'm less wanting to kind of say, look, look at this fancy arrangement yeah. I can yeah. do. And, and more, I don't do a lot of jazz reharmonizations. We were both quite glad to find out after one of our performances that, that Michael Feinstein was there. We were quite, we were quite glad not to know beforehand because obviously he's, you know, the great, the, the great expert. <laughs> I saw somebody after the show, this was a few years yes. ago, in the audience. And I, I went in to have a drink with everybody afterwards, as you'll see, and I, and I thought, there's a guy over there as a dead ringer for Michael Feinstein. I thought, oh. and as I got nearer, he got more and more like Michael Feinstein. I thought, I'm going to say to you, you should do impersonations of Michael Feinstein. As I walk him to, up to him, I, I was about to say, you know, you're... And he just stood up and he said, hello, Annie. Well, I can't tell you the word I said. I said, oh, dear, or something like that. <laughs> Because if I'd known he was in, but he thought he no, didn't no. say much to me. But he's nobody said to me. I think I've been, we'd been doing the Rogers and Hart song, "Isn't It Romantic?" And he said, "It's a long time since I heard those original chords." And I'm kind of going, "Well, I know there's a sort of like everyone sort of sees this music now through the, that sort of '50s prism and mm, all those um, sort of jazz mm. harmonizations, which are great. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the Ella Fitzgerald versions, whatever, they're wonderful. But it's yeah. this is this was written as theatre music. My connection to it is more kind of in those the way original orchestrations. Be, uh, you the know. way Richard Rodgers wrote it, yeah, it's lovely. Plays a plays a snatch of it in our show. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned Elizabeth Welsh. The last interview we just did, she came up then as well. She did. She did. She was yes. fantastic. I yes. went to, I went to Leningrad for, except for the weekend with her. Madly, we were asked by Vanessa Redgrave. You went to Leningrad to Leningrad <laughs> for the weekend. Um, Vanessa Redgrave. Yes, the the Actors Union building had burnt down or something, so she rounded up all these people. This is in 1990, and so I was playing a few songs with Liz and a few with an American singer called Patty Allison. In the second half was they were, they made this piece about capital punishment so i remember they they, 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 no they carried they carried liz welch on in a chair and pretended to electrocute her and she was electrocuted and and this is leningrad in a great big hall in leningrad and by the end of it everyone on stage was dead at which point i was trucked on at a grand piano with this American singer, Patty Allison, singing Over the Rainbow, which was quite the campest entrance I've ever made. <laughs> You've never told me <laughs> Well, it was, it's kind of like I tell it now, and I kind of go, that can't have happened, can uh, it? Uh, <laughs> that's, oh, that's, 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 I, mean, I wonder who pitched that. Who pitched that to Elizabeth Welsh, right? You're going to come on. She she was, you've got to write a book, Jason. She, she, she was very game. We had a, the first time I met her, I was sent to teach her Madame Armfelt songs in a little night music for a new recording. I knocked on the door at two o'clock, and in, in I go to her flat in Knightsbridge, and um, she said, do you want a drink? And I went, ooh, tea or coffee? And she went, 
whiskey or vodka? <laughs> and, and we just laughed. And there we were, very different moments in our life, you know. But my memory of Elizabeth Welch is laughing. We giggled the whole time. Well, you know, it seems so. to be a common theme with you then. Because the two of you seem to have the most fun together. We do have fun. We've travelled a lot. I mean, that's what's been so wonderful about yeah. this. It's just been absolutely wonderful. I just wish to God that I'd met Jason 50 years ago, but fortunately he would probably have been still in his cot. <laughs> <laughs> just so. <laughs> so what is it, do you think, about music then? that brings people together, not just you two, but us and, mm. and the, the audience. People want to hear these songs again and again. What is it? Well, I, everybody loves music, don't yeah. they? Well, no, actually, I, I did a show with Alan Jones on the radio. It was an hour thing where you could choose your own music. Mm -hmm. And he said the previous week he'd ha he'd interview Eileen Atkins, and she said, I've never liked music, mm. and I'd, I've never heard anybody. No. no. Um, ever say that she said so she had real difficulty I can't understand that it's a huge part of my life absolutely all the time I just think I never talk about the Royal Shakespeare Company or what's going on at the National I just talk about Gershwin mm. and what I'd really like is my own radio show Yeah, not all of every week but I'd love to do one with everything I love well, yeah. if any radio producers are listening, and <laughs> read that tuning. You need your own podcast, you need your own podcast, and then you can do what you want. No, it's it's terrific. I, I would hate not to be not to do this. Working with somebody like Jason, who is absolutely... It can be a bit frightening sometimes, because, I'd, well, honestly, I'd, I'm not the kind of singer that should be singing with him. You really, you know, he's... he's I've also been told, told by some people that I have resting bitch face. Sometimes you'll ask me a question and actually I'm just and thinking and processing and, and I'm probably looking into the distance and <laughs> resting my short sighted eyes so I'm what just... is the rehearsal room like then with you if, he, if he's if we've, got, scary, we've is he... got it no we've got into a into a we've done so much together mm. you mm. know um, I think I've sort of learned when to shut up now <laughs> I hope he respects me. I certainly yes. respect him enormously. This would be a yeah. very awkward time to find out that he didn't. Um, yes. <laughs> no, no. As I as I said, as I said, she takes she takes it. What's great is that Annie takes it very seriously, and it isn't just oh, it, it'll be a bit of camp fun, and I'll sing a few songs. I mean, it should it will be fun, and it is light entertainment if you like. But but you take it very seriously, and you are, and you'll come back to me and say, I've been really thinking. I think maybe we should swap those two songs over mm. or something. And I, I'll kind of go, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I think I'm quite good at structuring things no, as well, yeah. but we we agree, we agree, and you know, I mm. basically know where you, yeah. know where your yeah. voice sits. So hope you know we can hopefully start mm. in a key that's mm. not going to be too far away. Yeah. The only the <laughs> only thing that we do have a problem with is keys. Yeah, because I changed my mind, but it, but Jason said he has problems with other singers because. I'm writing a song now, which is not me, it's the key. Mm. <laughs> I love that. So, sorry, it's not the key, it's me. I really I think, you know, because I change it and then I get stressed. I get, that's, I really get stressed about it. And I well, I mean, you know, just try. a semi-ten can make a huge difference as to, uh, as to where know. things <laughs> sit and how they sit. And then I think, why, why, can't I, why can I sing that octave in that song? Why can't I sing it in that song? Yeah. You know, where, and some songs I don't think about it, I just do it. And then other songs I get very conscious of, of what I'm doing. Mm. And, um, and that's the only thing I really get stressed about. And I'm terrified of saying, can we change it back to that? Or can we change it? Because I, I don't like asking that. No. And it's mostly fine. It's, you know. Because mm, we might not agree, you know, because he's... It's like well, for Lawrence, me, I'm Lawrence Foster Jenkins things. It's not right to me. <laughs> no, I just, I, I just want. For me, I don't want there to be a disconnect ever between the end that's chatting and then the end that's singing yeah. for yeah. an audience. Yeah. It just wants well, to be wants to be all the same. It's not that easy, though. You know, it really no. isn't that easy because you don't sing, you don't speak in that in those notes, do you? Mm. you don't yeah, speak no, absolutely. In those notes, no. But you don't have a director, do you? No, I know people have said to me, oh, you've got to have a director. Well, Do you I direct know. each other then, or...? Yeah, we're, yeah. Quite, we're quite good about um, yeah, make, make, making suggestions mm. about, you know, and if we, there's a couple of moments where we have a conversation and we sort of yeah. talk about how that might be and then gently 
hopefully mostly gently give each yeah. other suggestions. Yeah, that requires such intimacy and trust yeah. to yeah. comment on a cast member's yeah. work. That mm. must go yeah, to show. I'm not good with directors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being told what to do. I, I don't mind a little bit of guidance, but if I'm working in a television show or a series or something and the director immediately comes up and Sarah Lancashire is exactly the same. We talk about this. Mm. The minute a director comes and says, I want you to play it like this, I want to go home. Yeah. And I feel that way about cabaret. I would take suggestions. Of course I do. Mm. And I listen to things. But I'm busting with ideas, you know. And so I don't want somebody telling me what to do. It really puts me off, actually. Immediately, a little demon goes in my head. <laughs> we don't want to do this, do we? <laughs> I think, no, I think I go home now. I'm not bothered with this. Um, so I have to work with people that I get on with. You know? No, but also when you say you take this seriously, you know, you, during this re-rehearsal process, because it's actually a few years since you've done yeah. a cabaret between the pandemic and being non-stop in demand on television. Yeah, that's been a shock. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I know you've had moments of doubt and kind of where you've been kind of going. Whether I could actually sing or not, mm. you know, because. I'm very old now, we won't talk about that, but I think if anybody told me that somebody at my age was getting up to do a cabaret, I would think, oh my God, they're insane. (laughs) But then I remember hearing about Kitty Carlisle, who you Mm. must know about, and she uh, went on till she was 90-something. A friend, a mutual friend of hers, she she rang me and she said, um, Kitty's died, and and, um, I said, oh, well, I heard that she was working until recently, and Anne said... No, she wasn't. She hasn't worked since Christmas. And I <laughs> she was 97, and I thought, that's what yeah. I that's want. Fantastic. She was good. No, I, I did play for her over here, and she was she was fairly incredible. And one, yes, tell us about the people you played No, for. No, Kitty was... I did a one-woman show with her, but I, I remember um, I was playing some Gershwin. I had to play a Gershwin overture, and then she started talking about when George used to play, and I sort of like, I, I started, um, I might just get hysterical in a minute. You know? Well, you could have thrown anyway. in, well, Cole says. No, yeah. but no, no. Um, and she would, she would also talk about, you know, Jerry Kern, and, you know, they, she just she knew them well. all. She was very nice about that. The first time we rehearsed a song, at the end of it, she walked up to the piano and she shook my hand and she said, that would be very nice, thank you, yeah. in that sort of formal New York Sort of east, Upper East Side way. For Lorna Love too, didn't you? I did, which was very different. Um. So what I'd like to know is, how do you decide with the vast back catalogue? How do you decide exactly what goes in the show? Because there must be so much. Well, it's a nightmare. I can imagine. I've got boxes all over the place of sheet music, but there were three songs that I always wanted to sing, and I wish to God I hadn't chose them now because they're an absolute. I should really have considered all the sort of octave leaps and things, whether I was actually capable of singing them. It's very difficult for anybody else to understand, and it's difficult for Jason to understand, but I spent years singing in my kitchen. Mm. When I first decided to do cabaret, and I had all these songs in my head, and one of them was called My Gentleman Friend, which we might revive if we do another show, and I'd always sung it because I gone into a junk shop and found a, a, an LP mm. of this thing, a review called Make My Manhattan. And I was just collecting things and there was this song called Gentleman Friend and I played it and played it and sang it and thought, oh, I'd love to sing that. Where would you get it? You know, this was 50s where or 60s, where would you get the music? And I got hold of somebody in New York I was told about and, uh, and got in touch with him and said, have you ever heard of this song? And he came back to me and said, how much do you love me? He said, I was with the, the writer, this, the songwriter, two weeks before he died, and he gave me all his music, wow. and I thought, this is meant Again, to be. Yeah. To watch that music coming through mm. on my computer, I still feel emotional about it, to watch the music coming through that I'd sung for years and to actually see it mm. and to know that I could get somebody to play it. I can't... Oh, the excitement. I thought, this is possible. This is actually possible to do, to sing this song. Yeah. I know I get... I just... I never feel that... We're doing, we're doing one go. song in this show, aren't we, from a British movie, an Anna Neagle movie, yeah. which I've never known 
anyone sang. I didn't know it. And you've had this street music, I know, for a lot of years. And when we the first time we rehearsed it, you you did get quite upset that you couldn't believe all these decades later you were actually getting to well, sing music it. Well, music does make me cry. Yeah. Nothing makes me cry much. But when Jason plays, he plays the Warsaw Concerto in this, and that takes me straight back to my childhood and our little living room and our little radio which it was played over and over again. Yeah, I think music is the only thing that makes me cry, really. Well, mm. how you, I mean, you can feel your passion for it and how lovely yeah. that you're able to take that passion and to turn it into something that people can share. I know it's all been a bit late. Share. I just wish... <laughs> but better late than never. Yes. Well, better late than yeah, never, you're yeah, doing it. But I would love, you know, I just wish... I took the wrong turning, really. A teacher at school wrote to my parents and said, I think Anne's an actress. And I thought, oh, right, OK. Derek Jacobi, of course was in his cradle, was sort of reading Henry V. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's all he ever wanted to do. I never thought about play. I never, you know, actors was, have you read this play? Have you read that play? Have you, no. Uh -huh. No, it was never of any interest to me. All I wanted was music. Did it ever occur to you that going into acting could lead to that? Or was that something that no. it didn't? No, I didn't. You know, when you leave school, you've yeah. you, you're just grateful to have some direction. To yes. My parents were abroad and, you know, they just wrote and said, what do you want to do? I was floating around looking for how to find myself a bed sitting room. You know, I had no home or anything. Um, and so, you know, decisions were made really without thinking. I don't regret going to RADA. It was mm. great. So how about you then, Jason? Mm -hmm. Because we've talked a lot about um, how Anne came into this cabaret world, but what about yes. you? Because your your career, you know, as, as Anne said, it's it's amazing. The mm -hmm. people you've worked with, the things you've done. Mm -hmm. What is it about cabaret that brings you back? Do you know, so I didn't particularly value my piano playing, and I went to Guildhall as a composer and worked as a composer of musicals and music for plays and... I was, you know, you think I'm scary and serious now, but I was a lot more scary and serious as a 22-year-old, you know. And, you know, I was quite dismissive of my piano playing, and it's taken me quite a long time to properly value it. I think mm. sometimes the things you do relatively Easy. easily, yeah. you know, um, you, yeah. you, you don't value. I always remember value. when I, I did a little part in Love, actually, which was cut out of the movie. We've but seen I, it, though. I, I really <laughs> oh, we've seen it. And it's the biggest crime right. of the century, in my opinion, that that storyline wasn't And he always says that, and that is not just because we're You here. and Francis Delatour, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Richard Curtis is a fool. You will literally watch it and cry, I'm not joking. We've sounded rubbish. But I like it. Now you put me off now. But I, I was having lunch with an actor called Adam Godley, and I always, I was, I sort of have a cupboard in my head that I store little things people say. And he said, "What, what you find easy will, will make you famous, not what what you find difficult." And it's, I think that's absolutely oh, I love that. true. I think it is, yeah. But the great thing about Jason is, I mean, there are lots of people who can play the piano, mm. but his sense of Rhythm mm. is just it's well. If you grow so up playing for thrilling. thirty children tap dancing on a clapped out old church or piano, you know <laughs> he sounds like he's got ten fingers on each hand. He plays like an orchestra. I would meet pianists at college who sort of like were so used to just playing on their own in a room that the notion of playing in front of somebody else oh, was wow. you know terrifying to them. Whereas it was always something you did in public, and actually it didn't matter if you played wrong notes particularly. I mean, you try not to, but what was important was to give them the spirit of the music and to keep going and be rhythmic and yeah, sort of to be improvised a bit. What are you and... doing? It can sound horrible. <laughs> well, no, my first performing job was a concert of Noel Coward and Cole Porter at the Barbican, but one of those AIDS concerts. But you already played in front of classrooms of children, you? Yes, I had, but no, I just remember, but the, it was twin pianos, it was me and Martin Smith on these twin pianos playing for David Kernan and Sally Ann Howes and Maria Friedman, and I just remember Martin, he used, to, he used to laugh, no, but he, I remember laughing, he used, and he would say, Jason, sometimes you're, sometimes you're the best pianist I know, and sometimes you're just the worst, because I would sort of like, if, if, I, if I wasn't quite energised or committed to it, or my brain suddenly wasn't, elsewhere there would sort of like be handfuls of nonsense going on I try to be a bit more prepared now you see the, the great thing is for me now having Jason is that it's not just 
in my head. It's a dream that becomes real yes. every time I say to him, do you know this song? And he'll say, yes. That is magical to me because I, in, when I lived in the north, I, in, in Manchester, I used to try and play it myself because I do play the piano. And then I would go and try and play it in my key mm. so badly on the piano, record it on my little tape recorder, then take that into the kitchen and try and sing to that. So to have this... I tell you, it's just the most magical thing that I could have Meanwhile, I'm very happy that you're asking me to do these songs because mm. they're songs I love and they're not mm. what everyone else is wanting to sing at the moment, particularly. Yeah. So The difficulty is keeping it down to an hour and 15 minutes. I can minutes. imagine. Oh, I can totally imagine. We, yeah, I mean, I could have done three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to? I'll, I'll happily be there till midnight. Well, no, you have to, they have to. They have two different shows a night. Oh, of course they do, yeah. yeah. So what were some of those films and some of those film stars that you really resonate with and you think, it, it, you, you feel the nostalgia when you think of those films and think of those stars, it takes you right back well, to I don't. Well, I mean, people like, I suppose, the singers, mm. I would think, would be people like Deanna Durbin and um, Jane Powell and... Yeah. Um, um, Shirley, Shirley Jones. Jones. Yes. People like that. Yes. yes. You love the soprano. Well, we both love the, all those sopranos. I was a soprano, but I can't, you know, it's hard. So that's that's a problem now. And how about you, Jason? Who would be a dream? I mean, maybe you've already done it, but who would be a dream person to play for apart from Anne? <laughs> I don't think we want to go there, do we? But no, it's, <laughs> it's always the people you just the ones you just missed are frustrating aren't they yeah i mean i was very i was asked i think i must have been in my 20s still i was asked to do two weeks with betty garrett you know, oh. who was the taxi driver on, the, on the town on the town yeah. um and she was just gorgeous and such a sort of you know there was no star nonsense not that there is with any but you know, she, <laughs> she would come up to my flat on the tube to, to rehearse and she was just a you know an old trooper who was used to schlepping around that Great big country doing tours I and things, her. and I loved uh, my yeah. sister Eileen. I loved my sister oh, Eileen. She's no, I know. I, I've done "Give Me Abandon My Baby" in one of my shows as a sort of <laughs> tribute to her. But I found during lockdown, I was clearing out my desk, and I found this couple of letters she'd written me in sort of funny green biro. You know, mm. she she was extraordinary. But I mean, it, she had another one. She didn't want to give up. She said she'd had. This, I mean, terrible thing happened. She'd had an, an asthma attack in a restaurant and the paramedics had put a tube down her throat oh. and she, she'd been told she probably might not sing again. Oh. So she was going, well, right, whilst I'm recovering, I'm going to start a, writing a stand-up act to be called Stand Up Grandma. And I think she, <laughs> I think she did sing a little bit again, but there, was just a, there wasn't a sense of, oh, well, I'll call it a day then. There was like, okay, well, yeah. you what know, can I do instead? what can I do instead? No, I'm, and, not a, I'm not just not a call it a day person at all, I'm afraid. Yeah, you do wonder if people are laughing behind their hands and thinking, oh my God, she's dreadful, oh, no, isn't she? I would quite like to overhear a conversation about what people <laughs> think, I think, but maybe I wouldn't like it. No. But I think if you're doing a cabaret and it's about your life, if you'd done this when you were 30 or even 40, how different that cabaret mm. would yeah. be. Mm. I didn't, I wasn't the same person. I, exactly. I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that. Then I would have got up and tried to be somebody else, you see. Mm. No, I don't. And that's no. the magic, isn't it, mm. with cabarets, that authenticity, as you were saying, with the audience. Mm. Well, we hope so. Magic, I like the word magic. Magic, <laughs> it's a great word. No, it is a great word, and it seems to sum up everything that you guys are doing. We can't wait oh. to see oh. it. So we've talked about a few, a few people, yes. famous names. Yes. A if, few, a few, quite a lot of famous names. Clang. If we think about variety, who are some of your favourite variety performers? Well, I mean, I would have to say my parents took me to the London Palladium to see Ken Dodd. I didn't really like him on the screen, but my God, in the theatre, it was funny. He went, he did about seventeen hours, you know, just yeah. went on and on and yeah. on and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But he was hilarious. I always remember he opened the evening and said, "Good evening. It's exactly the anniversary tonight. Ten years ago tonight, the circle fell in." You know, and I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody. <laughs> um, uh, it was very. I always remember that. It was hilarious. And um, Tommy Cooper, I saw at the Palace, yeah. Manchester, who was so funny, so 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 funny. 
And I actually saw Judy Garland at Tottenham And might Court. kill you now. Wow. I know. She was yes. half an hour late. Mm. She came on with a glass of water and the audience were going... Yeah. Sort of. And when she came on in five minutes, we would have forgiven her anything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. What do you think she had that made that possible? Oh, who knows, darling. If, if, we, if we knew... Yeah. An ethereal thing. <laughs> get it in a bottle, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's always, for me, there's just that sense of, the, like... She's either going to sing that note or she's going to drop dead. And I'm not sure which of yes, those two things is going to happen. Really but it, it's... it's I never feel like that. Don't you? I mean, I mean, I don't mean that you don't think the voice is going to work, but the, there's... It's the, exciting. It's a tension. God knows yeah, it's exciting. God knows no, it's she's, exciting. She's sort of mentally all over the place when mm. she's singing, isn't she? She's like somebody who's sort of shaking all over the place when she's singing. But, um, oh gosh, she's wonderful. I've yes. just thought of, of um, one of my favourite singers, Nanette Fabre. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, now, that's the voice I would like. It's yeah. beautiful, lovely voice. Those listening, this is the, the third lady of Broadway after Ethel Merman and Mary Martin was <laughs> Nanette yeah, Fabre. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, did you know, like when, I was, when I was... Th- there are Broadway recordings. There's only really the one movie, The Bandwagon. But mm. um, I know, when I was a bit like you two, I, the, the person I clung to at college was the first person I met who, who I'd ever met who knew who Nanette Fabre was, who was of my generation. And I sort of went, we, you're going to be my friend yeah. for the next <laughs> decade. We've got to mention a name that always comes up when we talk about variety as well, which is the great Victoria Wood. And obviously oh, all the work that you did. And I feel like, Anne, after the Love Actually conversation, <laughs> you're going to think that I'm just being a sycophant now, no, but I, I could no. sit, honestly, I could sit here and I could recite no, to the I ladies. <laughs> People have said that quite often. Love Actually, they've never mentioned, darling, so that's quite a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, Victoria. I could sit and quote Dinner Ladies all day. Yeah. It's one of my favourites. And <laughs> Dolly and Jean were the best characters. <laughs> How incredible was that for you to have... Somebody like Victoria Wood, who obviously was famous for a double act with Julie Walters, to then write another great double act within that show that you and Thelma Barlow were able to yeah, carry off fun. flawlessly. Yes, it was good fun because my husband didn't discover her, you know, but, mm. he, but he more or less he gave her a first mm. big chance on mm-hmm. television. And then we got to know each other, and I thought at first she's just using me out of sympathy, but she <laughs> wouldn't have gone on doing that. Um, no, it was glorious. I mean, I used to say happiness is a script from Victoria Wood dropping on your mat, you know. Mm. But she was she was very particular, wasn't she, about oh, how she wanted. Yeah. I did a Love Your Weekend thing with Alan Titchmarsh about three or four weeks ago. And we were talking about that. And he said, did you get the giggles a lot during dinner, ladies? No, you never get, you don't get the giggles much. You do sometimes, but sometimes in a play you do, but not in anything like that, because... You are so conscious of, or she was very conscious of getting the laugh. Absolutely. Um, and um, so it, it's quite se- serious. Business. She was also, well, it was. She's, she'd go home every night from what you've told me and rewrite and mm-hmm. things every day. It would be learning the changes. And... I got photos of quota copies of her handwritten. Re- you know, when she went home at night, I remember Jeff Posner saying, we're under on this one and the library it was and she came back in the morning anyhow and written this wonderful sequence about Torville and Dean and now they never did it because they'd spent too much time lying down on the ice and, you know. um, but it, and it was all handwritten and mm. photocopied and just handed out to us and yeah it was a business to her wasn't it it was a very serious business comedy well yeah business. yeah yeah. But that seems to be something that, that's come up mm. again because you mentioned Tommy yes. Cooper and we've um, we've interviewed uh, an actor that plays Tommy um, in a theatre show and he said the same thing. We've mm. spoken to comedy writers and, and it's always the comedians that seem to keep themselves to themselves and they, as you said, they work, they're so serious mm. about what they do. You know, they're always going to be anxious about getting the laughs and it must be very odd for people expect them then to be hilarious to be hilarious where you know well, I started having... with Benny Hill that's mm. yeah. yeah yeah with, yeah and how was that that he was giggly yeah all week played practical jokes on me he just saw me coming One were you being was... chased round in the in the swimming <laughs> no, costume no no, or no I never, no. never did that no. <laughs> no 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 I played a Puritan maid in my very first television appearance and I went 
And instead of going to the costume designer, I didn't know that's what I, I went to him. And I said, my, my, my knickers haven't come. And he said, oh, just wear your own, darling. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> and you worked with uh, Tony Hancock as well, is that right? Is yeah, that, yeah. Six, five or six mm. of his shows, yeah. I went to a reunion recently um, about him, yeah. I think I'm the only person alive, actually, who worked with him. I didn't talk to him a lot. Mm. I was a nobody. I was just a walk-on, you know, mm. with an odd line. I talked to Sid a bit more. He was very confident, Sid. He would start a joke and come and light your cigarette, I remember, and then because we all smoked, you know, and then chat to you for a bit, and then suddenly he'd hear his cue come in and say, just a minute, he'd go on and do the scene and come back and finish the conversation, mm. you know. He was very confident. But Tony was uh, nervy. Mm. It's funny, isn't it, how they are? Yeah. They are so, so nervous comedians. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm. What was it like then acting opposite the writer with Victoria Wood? Was she... No, that, that was scary, mm. yes. No, I think everybody was nervous of her. I said to her once, you've got to stop uh, using this group. I'm very happy to be a part of it, but you've got to stop. I said, you should just write a a film for I said I remember saying Meryl Streep and Anthony Hopkins and just write a movie mm. and give it to a really good director but she was not like she couldn't do that so the mm. movie she did write she had to be in yeah and she had to the only one we did Pat and Margaret and Gavin Miller said to me I'm directing this you know and he mm. sent her off the set and I thought she was so good in that yeah I thought that was the best performance as an actress she ever gave yeah absolutely we have to accept it's very hard that we don't know everything mm. it takes you a long time to can I have that in writing <laughs> <laughs> so how about you yes. then Jason who yes. are some of your favourite variety well, my favourite performers gosh I mean it's funny if I, I grew up my mum the in Leeds, running this dance school provided the um, the babes, you know, sort of for the pantomimes mm. at Leeds Grand Theatre. Yeah, that's where so, we saw people so, like Joel and Warris, I Yeah, remember. so, you know, I'm trying to think who who was in those. It was people like Dick Emery in the 70s. And oh, it's funny. I man. suppose, you know, because otherwise there isn't variety for us to go and see. You know, it's mm. always in musical comedies people might have sort of no, turns within them. But, Mark, yes. my son said this morning, I told him you were coming. And I said, well, there isn't variety anymore. I suppose things like Britain's Got Talent is the closest thing we yeah. we see to yes. that now, but that's different. And it's separate, yeah, that's isn't it? Yeah, it is separate. So you might go and see a comedian one night and then a singer another night, but it's very rare to yeah. find it all together. I mean, weirdly, a couple of decades ago, I wrote some songs for the Paris Lido's World Tour, and of course they always have... Uh, acts in the middle of their things you know they have jugglers and strange contortionists and things in between in between the singers and the girls running around in feathers so in some ways it's sort of still alive in in the continent in those sort of mm. casino shows mm. and things isn't it is it right yes. but i i remember go, i mean i remember going to the easter show at radio city music hall which they don't do anymore but they do the christmas show still, and they had a dog act which was absolutely fantastic. And these, all these dogs dogs careered down the aisle oh. of Radio City and then kind of like, they were extraordinary. It was kind of like... That's a venue that gets brought up a lot. It is. It? Yeah. No, it is. People, yeah. And Ken Dodd and um, Tommy, Tommy Cooper as well. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And Elizabeth Welsh now. Yeah. Elizabeth Welsh, yeah. no one. Well, she was great thing. Frankie Howard then. Yeah, well... I was in Diggs in Manchester when I first went into Coronation Street and Frankie Howard, she had three rooms. It was Patrick Stewart who went on to be... Patrick Patrick Stewart, Frankie Howard and me oh my in God. these Diggs. <laughs> That's as good as Benjamin Britten and Gypsy Rose Lee in Brooklyn, isn't it? And one day, Frankie used to go off at night, of course, to do clubs. He was working mm. And I came down and I just had a bath. And I was in a dressing gown sitting, having a cup of tea in the living room, watching television, I think. And he just, he was sitting next to me and he was he looked at my legs, which obviously were must have been a bit pink, and he went, do you have a nice bath? <laughs> and I said, yes. He said, good. 
And apparently what had happened was that I'd taken all the bath water. <laughs> oh, so, no. You know, and uh, so he used to call me Bathroom Annie after. <laughs> yeah, and then I met him in town once. I'd had a, a slight car accident with somebody and somebody clipped the back of the of his car. It was a diplomatic car, you know, and they'd just taken off. And, and Frankie was just coming back from work. We said, well, we don't have any witnesses. And he said, I'll be a witness. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> so we've mentioned yes. a few theatres. Yes. So let's talk about some of your favourite theatres in terms of nostalgia, the theatres to perform at, what are some of your favourite venues? Well, my I don't have any problem with that. I refuse to call it the Pinter Theatre. The Comedy Theatre is my favourite mm. theatre. Yeah, I did oh, yes. Epitaph for George Dillon then, and I just like that theatre. I like mm. where it is in London. I like the, the, the inside of it. I really like that. That's my favourite. And Bath, the Theatre Royal Bath. Mm. Yeah, I've done That's thousands right. of theatres. I was getting them together for my grandsons, you know, I've got postcards of all. I thought, God, I'm a proper actress. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> just hit you. I've been all, I've played all these, and as a stage manager, I've been mm. the Aberdeen and Edinburgh and Wolverhampton and, you know, all these weird places. Yeah, because yeah, I heard that, that you started off, did you do, in st- your beginning of your career, you did stage managing? Mm, well, a lot of people did, because yeah. you came out abroad. I was... I mean, I won a medal. I won. I sort of suppose I came out top girl of the year because the other two medals were won by boys. Mm. Um, but I hadn't a clue. But it was harder to get your equity card and things yeah. as well. In those well, days, I didn't know it? what to do. I didn't know yeah. to get an agent or anything. Somebody sent me to see this agent, and I just sort of said, "Can you tell me what you do exactly?" Mm. Nowadays, they have all got agents before they leave. Yeah. Mm. It's a totally different world. Mm. I hadn't a clue. Mm. And then I was sat there for six months and doing nothing. Then suddenly this teacher phoned up one day and said, from Rada, and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm not doing anything. And he said, they're looking for a stage manager at Bath. Do you want to go there? And I said, yeah, that's how it happened. And what about you, Jason? What are some of your favourite venues? Oh, I don't know. I was pondering this. Um... I mean, it's slightly the other extreme, but um, <laughs> it's, all, it's always an occasion going to... Covent Garden to the Opera House, it's so mm. lovely and I don't know, I was brought up going to ballet and things, so that always feels exciting. That but must have been nice actually, because your mum took you to those things, yes. didn't she? Yeah. Yes, I, I mean, the other night I put on the Swan Lake from Covent Garden that's on iPlayer and a minute in, Tchaikovsky was making me weep on the sofa, oh, you know, so it's, it's all that's rooted deep somewhere. I mean, smaller venues are often more nice to play, aren't they, when you have oh, the connection with I'm the audience. About. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm talking about playing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, the last 15 years or so, I've worked quite a bit at the Menier Chocolate Factory in South London, you know, which is that just that lovely old yeah. brick space, but where there's a, a lovely connection with the audience. Sheldon Harnick, we did a production of She Loves Me, that wonderful musical. Oh, yeah. I'd orchestrated it. And I saw that. Mm-hmm. And Sheldon came, walked to the front unasked on, at the end of the press night and sort of called for quiet and said, this is the best production of She Loves Me I've ever seen. And I was kind of going, I hope all you critics are taking note of that. It was such a sweet <laughs> oh, thing to do. Lovely. I know. I couldn't, couldn't quite believe it. Yeah. I thought, How nice. He was, mm-hmm. no, he was, well, he is still around, isn't he? Is he? Yes, he's, one, he's one of the few I went still. I his 90th birthday yes. party in New York and they all performed. I went with Barbara and they all performed and, and she sang and I can't remember who else, but I've got the programme somewhere. It was yes. amazing. I think, mm. I, and I think it was there that why the Candra Reb came up to me and I, I was sort of... <laughs> one of them. You know, and as I said, <laughs> oh, you're not really. And I could see him thinking, oh my God, they're letting anybody in tonight, you know. <laughs> I could see, you know, fans, they were not expecting fans at Sheldon Hardick. Yeah. Unfortunately, so yes. as the evening went on, somebody came up to me and who'd seen me on television. And she said, I've just realised, you know, who you are. So that was quite nice. And what did she know you from? I think it was Last Tango, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. Which we haven't mentioned, actually. No, we won't go there. But we <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I was thinking the connection there really is uh, 
just how that that surprised everybody because of the you know you and Derek Jacobi's age in that show and you you were talking about doing the cabaret and saying do people want to see this at my age but that show defied any reservations that you would have about that good I'm very glad <laughs> about that mm. good yeah yeah yeah. It's absolutely what the public wanted, and it, you know, it just did no, tremendously great, great well. Job. It was a great yeah. job. It is. It was a great job. Yeah. Sally Wainwright's a fantastic writer, isn't she? She's so brilliant. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah, really brilliant. She's wonderful, and I was very lucky to get it, you know. I'm just very lucky. Derek's very lucky as well. He, his, his autobiography is called As Luck Would Have It. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He didn't write that, he dictated it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that would be a lovely audio book, though, if he, if he, uh, if he does it. So these, we might already yes. have touched on the answers to this, mm. but if you could be any variety performer and you could just have a God-given talent, I think we already know the answer potentially to this one, what would you do? I can't think of a name. Soprano. You, no. No, no a um, belter. Um... Ethel. Ethel, no. No, no. <laughs> Don't be very careful. We might fall out. No. Dolores Gray. Huh? Oh. <laughs> I heard her sing, um, I'm Great Still voice. Here. Oh, yeah. yeah and always. I remember that being blown away by mm. that wonderful voice. What about you, Jason? Um, I was thinking about this on the way in because I know you've asked people this question. And I was sort of remembering when I was little, I had a lot of puppets of different sorts, hand puppets and marionettes. But I also had a, a ventriloquist dummy, and I mean, I never did it, but maybe maybe I'd have had a vent act. Who knows? Love it. <laughs> Listen, that's, it's never that's, too that's late. That's <laughs> Imagine, Annie, you turn around on Bullet. Friday and there's a puppet at the piano. Full of surprises. Full of surprises. <laughs> you need a mini, Anne. Yes. I can see Don't Give Him Ideas written all over her face. <laughs> Are you ready for some quick fire questions? Yes, okay. We're going to give you some quick fire questions with options, this or that, and you just pick instinctively. We'll do one, one at a time. So, and I'm going to ask you first, which leading man do you prefer? Wallace from Wallace and Gromit or Derek Jacobi? <laughs> Derek Jacobi. <laughs> Would you prefer a press night party or are you a stage door sneak out? A press night party. Does jam go on the scone before the cream or after the cream? Before the cream. Jam first. Jam first. Yeah. Would you prefer hymns on the lawn or mulled wine by the fire? Oh, both actually. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, would you rather be sat in the audience or waiting in the wings? Oh, waiting in the wings. Fabulous. Fantastic. Are you ready? Oh, well, have you got ones for me as well? Of course oh, we okay. have, Jason. Right. Of course we have. Ballet or opera? Oh gosh, I'm gonna say ballet because I can't do it and I can't like I can't do and I can't paint. So when I go to a gallery, I just go how beautiful. And I know whenever there's music, I, there's an analytical bit of my brain going on. But when I see beautiful people doing beautiful dancing, I just go. I think I have that reaction that other people have to music, which is just oh, you, that's a very long answer. Ballet. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Maria Friedman or Maria Von Trapp? I think Maria Friedman's probably more fun than Maria Von Trapp was. <laughs> Cole Porter yes. or George Gershwin? George Gershwin. Yeah. Would you rather have dinner before a show or after a show? No, that's my both answer because, you know, any extra meals are good. But, um... <laughs> a meal before and a meal after? Yeah, after is probably more relaxed and, yeah. No, it's done. Yeah. Would you rather... Sat in the audience or waiting in the wings? Waiting in the wings, because you know. The sort of, I'm a closet turn, really. (laughs) (laughs) Or not so closet. Oh, yes, he is. (laughs) Actually, I've seen him. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's been just amazing. Total, total pleasure. It's just lovely to see. You know, you just younger pe- younger people yeah. sort of oh, still connecting to all our yeah. traditions. Yeah, of course, and that's why we want. When as soon as I saw that this show was happening, I was like, we have to speak to you because I just think 
it's just gorgeous, like you say, to take these songs and, and hear different people doing them and your passion just comes across, especially on your social media with, with all oh, the, the stuff nice. that you do and YouTube. And the Crazy Cox is, I just think it's the most stunning venue. It is gorgeous, it is. isn't it? You, uh, we love it. Always, yeah. and you feel like you're on stage with the performers. It's so intimate and but glamorous. I know, when, when, when we think back, I mean, it can't have been realistic, but when you think of those... Fred and Ginger movies where they're always in those New York nightclubs and it's Art Deco, fantastic, beautiful, you know, this they're so dream. glamorous. This is my dream, I win the lottery. The first thing I would do is to buy a building and start a cabaret room so that I could get all the people, I could get all the people from all over the world, from France and Germany and everywhere else to come and do cabaret. I would love that. Well, we fully support that dream. And yeah. I think that we should, we well, should try and get I that going. Well, I win it tonight, I'll let you know. Yeah, you have to put it on. <laughs> <laughs> I've waited the whole interview to have a biscuit because I didn't want to chew down the microphone. Yeah. Well, these are fantastic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it fascinating when somebody is so successful for one thing and yet their heart belongs to something else? It was so moving, and I think mm. it does come across in the episode, but actually... The, the passion that Anne has for music is just unparalleled. It was actually it seemed stronger than Jason's, funnily enough. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And his passion for acting in comedy seems stronger than Anne's. Normally kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is as well, as soon as we stopped recording, the conversation didn't stop, did it? And she carried on telling us about all of the amazing ideas that she's got and all the amazing things that she wants to do. It was inspiring. I was exhausted. <laughs> it was, and, you know, it was one of those where we'd switch the microphones off and we kind of wished that we'd wished left. that we on. hadn't, absolutely. That happens a lot, doesn't it, actually? It does happen to us a lot, especially <laughs> once they've brought the wine out. I was getting stuck into that cheese. Oh, that cheese was fantastic. So if you were going to take something away from that episode, Mike, what would it be? Oh, Anne and Jason's chemistry was so special it was so you couldn't describe it. it you had to sort of you had to experience it and I suppose that's what's going to be amazing about this show is that that will come across on stage mm. they're both so passionate they're so motivated to do well for each other and for the audience I mean they're kindred spirits they really are yeah I think that's something I really took on board and how when two kindred spirits get together they can create such magic and I can't wait to be there on Saturday and watch and any of you that oh, want to so watch excited. there are still tickets left and you can go and buy them there you know if you just google Anne Reed and Jason Carr a night at the pictures you'll be able to find it or wherever you're listening we'll have it in the show notes there's not many left though they're selling like hotcakes they really are. So get your tickets now. Thank you all so much for your support again. And please, please, please get in touch with us and give us a follow on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Twice Nightly Theatre Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Twice Nightly Pod. And give us a search on Facebook, Twice Nightly The Podcast. And also a brand new platform that we are now available on. You can find all of our episodes from Series 1. And we are now on YouTube. So make sure you search for Twice Nightly, the podcast, subscribe to our channel, give us a like, give us a comment and relive all those magical moments from series one. And what we love about YouTube as well is that it actually everything we do is subtitled. So if mm. for whatever reason you're listening and you feel like you want the subtitles, then they're all available at YouTube. That accessibility was something that was really important to us. And don't forget to speak, Piper, if there's anything you want to say about this episode, anything from our first series or anything that you want to talk about. Send a message to Anne. Send, send a message, message to Anne. Anne. And Jason, if you've seen the show and you loved it, send them a message. This is your opportunity. So get on speak, Piper. <laughs> from all of us here at Twice Nightly, we wish you a wonderful Music Hall and Variety Day 2022. All that's left for us to say is... See you next week. Tonight, singing live, Maria on the Dean. <laughs>